0: The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church, or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Well, good morning, everybody. Song just always gets me in the mood for Christmas, you know? Just a nice, a nice soft carol. Anyway, so my name's Evan. Uh, I'm the creative lead here at the Grove Church. Uh, and basically what that means is I'm the person who um, added the snow to the video. So you're, wel- you're welcome for that. <laughs> stop it. Uh, Anyway, yeah, so, but, man, that was weird. I wasn't expecting that reaction, but thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, So today we are kicking off our new series called Wonder, um, which I think is actually a really, it's a really good theme uh, for our Christmas series today because I think one of the uh, big traps that we fall into all the time is we kind of lose our sense of wonder at the Christmas season and what it's truly celebrating. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today, but first I'm going to pray and then we're going to get started. Father, I just thank you so much the gift that it is to be able to gather together, to be able to learn more about you, to be able to worship you the way that you deserve to be worshiped. And I pray that today that as I speak, that they would be your words and not mine. I pray that there wouldn't be a hint of pride in my heart, and I pray that you would just use me to effectively communicate your truth, and that you would prepare all of us to hear it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so I have to kind of give you a little bit of context on the story today. I I should tell you, leading into this, that I have a plan. This plan is a two-fold plan. This plan involves telling a story from my life and kind of connecting it to Christmas. And then it also involves kind of taking you with me on this really nerdy rabbit hole that I fell down while I was preparing. So hopefully you're into that sort of thing. If not, then... I mean, well, you'll still still like it, probably. Um, So, but one of the things you have to know about me to kind of set this all up is, uh, you know, I'm a bit of a crier. I, I wouldn't say that I'm like a major crier. Like, if you've known me, even if you've known me for a long time, You've probably never seen me cry, Um, but what I do is I I, I would describe myself as a random crier. Like it just kind of it just kind of you know comes over me at different points. And so there's really famous stories of you know when I'm with my wife. That's usually when it's happening, right? And you know there's times where like you're crying because you know something emotional just happened or you got some bad news. And so like you know what does Ashley do? She's gonna hug me. She's gonna let me know that everything's gonna be okay. Um, And then there's other times where you cry where she just laughs at me, Um, and that sounds. (laughs) That sounds mean, but it won't sound mean once I start telling you the story. It's so like a couple of the famous ones. I'll, t- I'll tell you a few. Um, there's one, you know, we were, we were sitting down. We were watching Lord of the Rings, as you do. Um, and we get to the, uh, towards the end of Return of the King. You know, everyone knows the scene, the Rohirrim. They charge across the Pelennor fields into the armies of the orcs. They're chanting, they're chanting death. The violin is cranking. It's awesome. Uh, and then Ashley looks over and there's just tears rolling down my eyes. Um, and it doesn't, you know, There's like, it emotionally affects me because I'm thinking to myself like, wow, like would I have the bravery to do that? And I know it's fake, like I understand that, but you know, still the idea, the idea of having that kind of courage, it it moved me um, to tears. But as we continue down this road and get to the the more and more embarrassing, um, I I feel like Pixar is doing this new thing where they're just like, hey, you want to cry as an adult? Watch these movies. (laughs) Um, And so some of them, some of them right off the bat, right? Like onward first scene crying. And I'm just crying through the whole movie. So at least but at least you know you know what you're getting there. Um, one of them, Inside Out, we're watching it. It's a good movie, right? Like, it's about, like, a girl, and she's kind of, you know, growing up into adolescence, and she's learning how to deal with her emotions, and, like, you know, it's a really good message. Um, you know, the contrast between, like, happiness and, 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 and sadness and all the different stuff. And then, like, halfway through the movie, there's a scene where the, the Joy character has to escape, and so she runs into the imaginary friend, Bing Bong, who's, like, this elephant creature. Was, yeah, it's just that guy. And then they, they, they catapult out of the trap that they're in and Bing Bong realizes they're not going to make it. And so he jumps out and he falls back down and Joy makes it back up and he looks up and he says, take her to the moon for me. And then he dies. and I'm, just, I'm sobbing on my couch. Like, and Ashley has to like pause the movie and console me because of a freaking cartoon. But that's, that's the situation that we found ourselves in. Uh, The worst one by far um, was we were on a road trip. And I have, you know, if if you can't tell just from looking at me, I'm a man of eclectic tastes. And so (laughs) we uh, we have like our big, um, we have our big, music playlist that plays around Spotify. Most of it's normal music, but I, I slip in a few weird ones in there. And so one of you know, it's like a sea shanty. Um, and it's about, it's about the Northwest Passage. And it's a song about, like, how they're going to go find the Northwest Passage. And everyone who's been going after it before them has failed, but they're going to be the ones to succeed. I don't cry at this song every time, but for whatever reason on that particular trip, I was just crying at the thought of the song, and actually, she didn't even try to pretend like she was, you know, empathetic at this point. She just starts laughing incredible. and I get it. Like, if you heard the song, it's not like an emotional-sounding song, and, you know, I'm trying to explain, you know, the Northwest Passions, like, it, it practically doesn't exist, and they're trying to get to it, but it's pointless, and they're all kind of throwing their lives away, and it's broken dreams. That doesn't matter. Like, it's just, it's just pure laughter from, you know, me being an idiot and laughing at all these things, um, but not all, not all the random cries are you know, like these big funny moments. Um, one, one of the most meaningful ones is we, we we're driving around, and we have this tradition every year where we like to take a night, um, and we just, you know, drive around at night and look at all the Christmas lights that are up, and we'll listen to Christmas music. Um, we download the Marysville Top Ten, which I didn't know they did a Top Ten until I got married, and then apparently there's a Top Ten. So we go to all the houses. Um, we, see, you know, see what the different things that people are doing. And at one point, while we were driving around, O Come All You Faithful came on. And you know, at the start, it wasn't really affecting me at all, but then it just kind of as I started to think about it, um, as I began to reflect on the words, as I began to reflect on you know, what, the, what the song is getting at, it, it really emotionally moved me. And so again, like Ashley looks over and, and I'm crying I'm kind of explaining why it's happening. And so what I, what I want to do today is kind of, again, explain a little bit of what was going through my mind in those moments and at the same time talk about how um, we should never allow ourselves to lose our sense of wonder at what Christmas is truly about. So to do that, we're going to go back in time. Uh, We're going to go, just, you know, some setup. You need some good setup for these. So we're going to go back to the reign of King Solomon. So Solomon, if you don't know, uh, he is the son of King David of giant slaying fame. So David and Goliath. Uh, Solomon is the next king up. Uh, He's kind of, you would call him a good king if you opened up a history book, right? Like he leads through this incredibly prosperous time. He's building all these different things, but when you open up the Bible, you realize he's actually kind of a bad king. Um, he has a couple good moments, but really kind of, you know, goes downhill pretty fast. Um, but before all that happens, his, his, really his greatest accomplishment is, is he builds the temple. And it's something that his father David had always dreamed of, but God um, wouldn't let him do it. He wanted it to be his son Solomon who built it. And, and as it's described in the book of uh, First Kings, it's this really beautiful, ornate building. Like, just even like reading it, and it's kind of boring to read those sections of the Bible where it's literally describing like the square footage of these buildings. But even like in those sections, you're getting this idea of how just Im- impressive of a structure it was. And, and Solomon gets to complete it. And, and we're told that he gathers the, uh, the assembly of the Israelites. And as he dedicates the temple, um, something incredible happens. The, the glory of the Lord fills the temple. And, and, and the way that it's filled is it's, it's as if it's a, a it's a cloud of smoke that goes into the temple. And we're told that the priests who are inside, they, they can't even do their jobs anymore. We can imagine them kind of hacking up along and, and, and running out of the temple because the, the glory of the Lord is just is there. And and, and Solomon, in, in that moment, he, he's moved and, and he begins to pray. And it's just really beautiful, long prayer. We, we can't read the whole thing today because it goes on for, for quite a few chapters. But... One of the questions that he asks in that prayer I thought was really poignant, and he says, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. And and, and so Solomon is asking this question that really the whole Bible kind of hinges on, right? Like the, the, the crux of the Bible is this question of will God dwell on earth? And as as the, as, the years goes on, as the years go on, like I said, Solomon, um, not a great king. He's worshiping other gods, and the people of Israel kind of, they, you know, they begin this kind of really long, slow descent into just idolatry. Um, well, I say that. Like, the, the kingdom's split, and so the northern kingdom, it doesn't do as like a long, slow descent. They just kind of jump off a cliff. Judah's more of a, you know, straight-up slow descent. Um, they have ups. They have downs. They have good kings. They have bad kings. They have moments where they're worshiping God, and they have moments where they completely leave God behind, until eventually it gets to the point where, where God is is fed up with it. And they've, they've broken covenants so many times, they've worshipped other gods so many times, they've, they've, they've gone back on the promises that they've made to God so many times, um, that, that finally God declares that, that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed, that the, the nation is going to fall, and that the people are going to go into exile. And these are really terrifying passages to read in the Old Testament, because most of the prophetic books, the way that they're structured is... This is going to happen unless you repent, and if you repent, I will relent. Um, But when we read through, particularly Jeremiah is the big one where it's all about the coming destruction of Jerusalem, Um, there's no spot where they're allowed to get out of it. I I was struck when I was reading it. There's literally no no place in Jeremiah where God says, if you repent, if you turn away, I will relent. There's hopeful passages. There's passages where God is saying, even after all these things happen, I will still be with you. I'm still your God. But there is no opportunity for this to be avoided. And one of the most terrifying passages of of all of these is in the book of Ezekiel, where um, Ezekiel's a prophet and he's not in Jerusalem anymore. He was taken with kind of the first batch of exiles, so he's living in Babylon, the the nation of Babylon. But in a vision, he gets taken back to the temple. So he's back in Jerusalem, and he hears this this whirlwind. And so we kind of get this picture that as he's in the temple, right, it, it's kind of hearkening back to that first moment where the glory of the Lord, like a great and mighty like wind, fills the temple, and now Ezekiel's beginning to hear this. But now it's something different is happening, and he sees angels, and he sees the glory of the Lord, and, and what happens? The glory of the Lord goes to the door of the temple, and then it leaves the temple, and as Ezekiel follows, he sees the glory of the Lord leave Jerusalem entirely. And I, I, I always imagine what that moment must have felt like, because again, like you, you can kind of imagine it's this deafening sound of this mighty whirlwind, and then the glory departs, and then it's just silence as Ezekiel looks out over the city of Jerusalem, and, and then slowly he hears the, the armies of Babylon that have surrounded the city, and he knows that the destruction of Jerusalem is at hand, um, and the people who are inside, who are trusting that God will save them, who are hoping for deliverance, he, he knows that it's not going to happen because the glory of the Lord has, has left the city. That's a ter- That's a terrifying passage to imagine what's happening there. And and I think that as Ezekiel watched the glory of the Lord depart, as it became entirely clear that Jerusalem was going to fall, that the temple was going to be destroyed, he knew that nothing was going to be the same ever again. And so that's what happens. The the Jerusalem falls, it's it's incredibly brutal, the temple is destroyed, the the people who survive, they're sent into exile, uh, first into Babylon, and later on the kings of Persia take over, so they're in exile there. And eventually the Persian kings... Um, They're a little bit nicer than the Babylonian kings. They allowed the Jews to return back to Jerusalem, and that's what we get in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Those are the stories of the the Israelites who return back. And and they begin work on rebuilding the temple. That's one of the first things that they do when they return to Jerusalem. And and we get this really interesting moment in the book of Ezra where the temple is dedicated. They're they're pouring the foundations, but it says that half of the people shouted for joy and the other half wept. And we're told that the older the older people are the ones who wept and it says that for they remembered back to the, the first temple. and I think there's a, there's a couple things happening there, right I think number one, the remembering the grandeur of the building, the remembering this kind of you know this, this symbol almost of, of Israel's might as a nation. it was this ornate, beautiful building. Um, and now they're building a much more humble temple. It, it, it's, it's kind of reflection, it's a reflection of how far they had fallen as a people. Um, but also I think they're remembering back to the stories of, of what happened when the first temple was dedicated. The glory of the Lord filled the temple, and now the second temple is dedicated and it's 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 silence. It's just quiet. And, and this is kind of the, the, the rabbit hole that I fell down when I was preparing for this, because I was really curious, like, okay, well, what, like, you know, the, the Christmas story, like, it's just kind of full of miracles and all these different things. I was, I was trying to figure out when was the last miracle that happened before all of this. And, and I realized that um, there's no recorded miracle in the Old Testament from the moment that the Israelites returned back to Jerusalem through the end. So from Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, um, there's, there's no miracles in those books. And God still speaks to the prophets. That's who Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi are. They're the prophets who uh, ministered to Israel while they returned from uh, exile. But then, after Malachi, what happens? It, it's it's four hundred years of, of silence from God again. And I think sometimes we read, you know, we read four hundred years, and we don't realize like how long that is. Like that's that's almost double the amount of time that the U.S. has been a nation that has existed as a nation. Like four hundred years is an incredibly long time for the way that the Israelites were used to God speaking to them. It it was now no longer that way. Again, the the glory of the Lord had departed, and, and nothing was the same, and it didn't return. And so we we see, you know, we we can kind of imagine the Israelites, they're moving on with their lives. They're still worshiping God. And I want to be clear, God didn't abandon his people. Like, he's still with them. He's still their God. But the the, the days of seeing the miraculous, the days of of hearing, thus says the Lord from the prophets, those days seem to be over. And, And the answer to Solomon's prayer, remember, he asked, will God dwell on earth? The answer to that question seems to be no. And And they go through this very long period of 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 just kind of the status quo in that. And see, I, I think that's what. Having all of that context, having that, all of that in our heads, I think that 's part of what makes the Christmas story so incredible because w- one of the big mistakes that we can make as as, as Christians when we 're reading the Bible is is we don't take the time to really put ourselves into the lives of the people that we 're reading about. Um, we kind of read the Bible like we know the ending because we do know the ending, so you know and, and you know the good guys win um, but we we don't we don't take the time to actually read it as if. We didn't know that. We don't take the time to actually think about, well, what were the people who were actually living through this thinking about? And so I, I want to talk about just one small part of the Christmas story because we're, we're going to have time throughout this series to kind of hit on all of the different aspects of it. So at, at this point, Mary and Joseph, um, they've already been told that they're going to have a baby. They've already traveled to Bethlehem. Jesus has been born. And, and in Luke chapter, eight we, or Luke chapter 2, we get to see what happens next in verse 8. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And as I was preparing for this, the verse that stood out to me so much was, and verse 9, And an angel of the Lord Appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And and I I realized, like as I was probing, this this was it, right? Like the glory of the Lord. Left And Ezekiel saw that happen. And Jerusalem is destroyed. And the temple is destroyed. And nothing is ever the same again. But the glory of the Lord doesn't come back when you would think it would. Like when we're reading through the Bible and the people repent and they turn back, the glory of the Lord doesn't return. And when they build the temple and they worship God again, the way he's supposed to be worshipped, the glory of the Lord doesn't return. When they expand the temple and they make it back into a really beautiful thing later on, the glory of the Lord doesn't return. The first time we hear about the glory of the Lord returning to Israel is when God finally answers that question that Solomon asked centuries before, will God dwell on earth? And he answers, yes. And and. I just imagine, like, what were the shepherds thinking? Again, they've heard all of these stories of centuries before, how their fathers and grandfathers, and further, actually further back than that, how their ancestors saw the miraculous, and how they saw the prophets speaking through the Lord, and now they see the heavenly host in the sky, they see the glory of the Lord shining around everything that's happening, the wonder that must have gone through their heads, the idea That God would choose them to be the first ones to find out about it. That he didn't choose the nobles, that he didn't choose the priests, he didn't even choose a prophet, right? Like, who gets to see the glory of the Lord leave? It's the prophet Ezekiel, one of the great prophets of Israel. Who gets to see the glory of the Lord return? It's working class guys in the middle of a night shift. And I know this this is going to sound crass. I don't mean it this way, but they're, they're they're nobodies, right? Like they're we don't know their names. They never come up in the story again. They're not these kind of mighty pillar characters of the Bible. Um, they're just normal people. And, and yet, God chose them to be the first ones to hear what had just happened. and And just like, When Ezekiel sees the glory of the Lord depart, and I think he understood that nothing was ever going to be the same again, the shepherds see the glory of the Lord return, and they understand that nothing will ever be the same again. And we we get that idea with how they react, right? If we go to the next verse, in verse 15, it says, When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherd told them. But Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart, and the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And so they, they they drop everything and they, they run, they sprint over the hills toward the distant city of Bethlehem. I, I imagine, this isn't in the Bible, but I, I would think that they didn't you know intuitively know which manger they were going to. So I always imagine them opening up different doors and kind of checking to see, like, ah, oh, it's just animals, okay. And then they just kind of keep going through going through the town until they finally arrive at the right place, and then they see the baby in the manger, they see the people huddled around, they see Mary and Joseph who, who understand what's going on, but I, I'm sure the shepherds thought to themselves that no one else, no one else gets it, no one else knows what's happened, and, and they, they tell them and they talk about how all of the people there wonder at the truth that had just been told them. And I think it's so fitting that the shepherds couldn't do anything except glorify God and worship as they left. And, and so to, to go back to the story at the beginning, like in, in that moment, I'm listening to Oh come all ye faithful, and I'm just imagining, I'm, I'm imagining what that would have been like. To, to see angels in the sky to see the glory of the Lord, to hear that the Messiah has been born, that the Savior is here. What it would have been like to, to run as fast as I could. What it would have been like to open the doors to the stable and look and see a child laying in a manger and, and, and understand at that moment that that's not, it's not just some kid. Like that 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 would have been such an incredible moment for them. And, and, and it's, it's, it's even more incredible for us because we understand fully, right? The shepherds didn't understand fully who Jesus was. We understand that, that, that you know, the, the baby that we sing about in all of the Christmas carols, um, that, that he will grow up and that he's gonna live the, the perfect sinless life that we can never live, that he's gonna die the death that we deserve to die and that because of his life and death and, and resurrection we can find our forgiveness in God, we can find our purpose from God, we can, we can have relationship with God. We understand that the Christmas season heralds in this, this, this new covenant that we're all under. And I think, I think for us one of the greatest dangers as Christians during the Christmas seasons, we kind of get lost in everything else. Um, and I, I, I love the Christmas season. It's my favorite time of the year. I love the lights. I love the trees. I love the food. Um, I love giving gifts. I love receiving gifts. That's a good time. Um, I, love, I love the fact that it's something that we kind of enjoy together as a culture. Like even people who, who aren't Christians, um, we, we all kind of have Christmas together. We have this time I, th- I think that's a beautiful thing. But but how often do we allow ourselves to get lost in the beautiful things and we, and we forget the ultimate things? H- how often do we enter into the Christmas season and, and we don't actually pause and think about what we're singing about? We don't pause and think about what the Christmas story is truly saying. We don't, we don't, Take the time to to try and let our hearts be filled with the same wonder that the people who experienced that first Christmas would have felt. And so I thought I thought today as we wrap up, I'll pray here in a second, and then we're actually just gonna um, we're gonna sing "O Come All You Faithful" together. And I want to encourage you, however you feel led to respond. If that's singing out loud, if you want to stand, if you want to sit and reflect, um, whatever whatever feels right to you. But I think. Even, even the Christmas carols, right, sometimes we just kind of view them as their songs that come on the radio. They're kind of background music. We almost view them the same as like Rudolph, the Rudolph songs and things like that. Um, and so I think it's fitting for us to, to sing, to listen, and, and to truly reflect on, on what the words of this song mean. So Father, I thank you so much for the gift of Jesus Christ on that first Christmas. I pray that as all of us walk through this Christmas season, as we take this next month to enjoy so many things, I pray that we would be able to enjoy them. I pray that our hearts would be filled with joy of of being with people and all of the things. But I pray also that we would never lose sight of the ultimate things of Christmas. I pray that we would never lose sight of what it's truly about. And I pray that in the random moments as we're running around, in the moments where we least expect it, I pray that you would soften our hearts and that you would allow us to once again feel feel the wonder of what this season means. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Oh, come, all ye faith. Joyful and triumphant, O come ye, O come. Oh Christ the Lord